Hey everyone, before we get started, let me just say that we are so thankful for the great work that's being done across agricultural leadership and the leadership discipline in general. We have tried our best to acknowledge the work of authors as we discuss them in the podcast, but in case we missed it, just let us know and we'll be glad to make sure that we give credit where credit is due. Now, let's head on into the day's episode and engage with the Leadership Combine. Well, hey everyone, I want to welcome you to the Leadership Combine. Today is one of those special episodes. And so, um, as you all know, this season we've been talking about leadership across agriculture, uh, leadership mixed with diversity, and uh, we have a few other really interesting episodes uh, this season. But today is kind of a special treat because there are three fearless ag leadership faculty members and here at Texas Tech. And so all of us have gathered in one room, which doesn't happen often. So we're really excited to get everyone um, together today and talk about a lot of things related to our program and beyond. So let's get started. It's time for the Leadership Combine a place where learning and applying lessons of leadership helps you make a larger impact and become a better and more informed leader. Get ready to engage in leadership, agriculture, community development, and all points in between. This podcast is sponsored by the Agricultural Leadership Discipline at Texas Tech University. Settle in, it's time to start the combine. All right, so let's just dive in today. So um, the first thing we're going to do is just so you can learn a little bit more about us, and probably we're we're going to learn some things about each other as we go through this. So, Dr. Brashears, why don't you get us started? Okay, I'd be happy to. Uh, my name is Todd Brashears. I am a uh, native Red Raider. I actually got my undergraduate degree here years and years ago in ag economics. I've been back at Texas Tech now for uh, about to start my twenty-first fall semester. So I've been here for a while um, and have seen the Ag Leadership Program uh, grow and develop over those years uh, to what it is now and uh, have the opportunity to work with some some great students over the years and some great faculty as well. I am originally from uh, a little town in the Panhandle on the eastern side called Shamrock. It's a a ranching uh, community and a farming community in the eastern Panhandle just off of I-40 where uh, you either grow cattle or you grow cotton, and there's not much else like a lot of the small towns um, uh, out in West Texas. Um, from there, I, I came to Tech and then went to graduate school at Oklahoma State, where I got a master's degree. Uh, worked with some great faculty there um, who have, uh, some are still there, some have retired and moved on. Uh, and then uh, actually started as a, an ag teacher just outside of Lincoln, Nebraska at a consolidated school called Norris, which is about 15 miles south of Lincoln. Uh, lived there for five years and started my PhD at the University of Nebraska, and then had the opportunity to come back to Texas Tech and uh, start teaching in the department while I finished my, my doctoral degree. And so I did that, and I've been here ever since. Um, the things that I do uh, as far as what I contribute to the department, I teach mostly graduate courses in our ag leadership area, but also general graduate courses for students uh, in our department, including statistics and college teaching courses and uh, 
methods of tech change. So a wide variety of courses, uh, and also still uh, teach a few undergraduate classes, but not as often as what I used to. Well, I'm uh, Amy Bornell-Pisar. I'm originally from Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, got my bachelor's degree in French and Spanish at Nebraska Wesleyan University. Um, actually did uh, work at the Gallup organization uh, following that, and I did a lot of translating work and uh, interviewing uh, in Spanish, uh, some, some French translation, but, but not a whole lot. Uh, I also took the plunge and did a little missionary work in, in Honduras uh, to kind of round out that experience right after my undergraduate. I got back to the States and uh, started a master's degree uh, at the University of Nebraska in, in leadership education. And that led into a PhD program also at the University of Nebraska. And I finished up there. Um, I was the director of a nonprofit organization that worked with immigrants in Nebraska and uh, then moved to Costa Rica, uh, worked with the Inter-American Institute for Cooperation on Agriculture in their Center for Leadership in Agriculture. Uh, after that, came back to Nebraska, moseyed around Texas a bit and ended up uh, a Red Raider, uh, started here in 2014. And so I'll be getting my I'll be beginning my ninth year, uh, ninth fall, I guess, if we want to go there. Um, I do a lot of international work here. That's why I was hired. Um, we do international research, study abroad. Um, we teach an international leadership class. Um, and so I think that pretty much sums it up. So there's a common theme already before I start kind of my introduction, who I am, and it's Nebraska. Um, we've all lived there at some point. So, um, well, I'm Dr. Jason Hedrick. Um, I'm originally from a small town, Tompkinsville, Kentucky, which is right on the Kentucky-Tennessee border. I grew up on a tobacco and timber farm there, um, really heavily involved in 4-H, was a state 4-H officer in Kentucky, um, went to the University of Kentucky, for my bachelor's in ad communications, um, got a job in college admissions and got my master's at the same time in uh, public service and leadership um, or community leadership development, I guess. Um, and so um, worked in student affairs in for over 10 years and started asking questions like, why aren't people more involved in leadership activities? And when I started asking those PhD questions, that's when people said it was time for me to, to, to look somewhere for a PhD. So um, I ended up at the University of Nebraska and got my PhD in human sciences with a concentration in, in leadership specialization there. And so um, graduated in December 2019. Well, we all know what happened in spring of 2020 with COVID and um, I was on the job market then and was a professor of practice for that semester at Nebraska. And so um, was on the market and a job at Texas Tech opened up. And so um, went through that application and um, was invited to join the faculty here. And from what I know, I think that I was the first all Zoom COVID hire for Texas Tech. And so I'm going to claim that as my my claim to fame. And so, um, but um, so here I, I teach undergrad courses, our intro course, 
uh, groups and teams, diversity, um, some of those courses, and a grad student course uh, or intro to theory. And my specialization focuses in leadership education in general, how we teach leadership, um, who's involved in that on the community process. Um, I do have a, a grant right now for the Civic Leadership Academy, and that's teaching me a lot about how we engage in our communities and how we can teach our students to engage in communities as well. Um, but um, just focused there and focused in uh, kind of diversity and leadership, uh, agricultural leadership in general. And so um, just excited to, to be here with you all. So um, did you all learn anything about each other in that in that process? Or is that are those things that you already knew as you kind of heard people doing their introductions? You know, I think I've I've heard some of these stories before, but it's nice to get a refresher and remember we kind of get wrapped up in ourselves and forget that the experiences that everybody has before they they come into these positions really has an impact on what they believe and how they proceed uh, throughout their their teaching and their research programs. And so it's always good uh, as an educator and uh, as a colleague to know people's background and understand where they're coming from because it makes a big impact on how we how we move forward as well. Absolutely. So let's just kind of jump into some of the main uh, conversations for today. And that is when people hear agricultural leadership, they think a lot of things and they probably don't think some things that we want them to to really come to mind. So I guess for you all, how do you define agricultural leadership? So there there's a famous story about a congressman back in the 60s that during some debates, um, was asked to define pornography. And his response was, I don't know the definition of it, but I know when I see it. And I would like to tell you that I have a great, very specific definition for agricultural leadership. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that it's a very broad discipline that, that covers a lot of different aspects and a lot of, uh, there's uh, a wide range of, of job descriptions and careers that all are based on a very similar skill set, which is what we try to impart to our students is the skill set that then provides you the ability to go into a wide range of things. Uh, I look at it from the perspective of my wife's position as a microbiologist and working in a very specific ag STEM field. Uh, they most when you think about agriculture, most of the areas that we talk about are very related to scientific method. Uh, whether it's animal science or plant science or microbiology. But in all of those different careers, the one thing that connects them all is you have to have the ability uh, to communicate what you do and your findings and the importance of your research and your work to other people. And agricultural leadership provides those skills and those abilities that people in agriculture can interact effectively with other people in agriculture and with the public in general. Yeah, I would agree with that, uh, Dr. Brashears. And I would kind of bring to that, adding to that definition a little bit, would be people who advocate for their communities, uh, rural communities, um, their work in the agricultural field, advocating for that field, whatever part of agriculture it may be in, uh, I mean, we, we have students who 
graduate, they, they work in sales. We have others who are working uh, in actually in production, you know, but no matter what they're doing, they're able to go out there, use the essential skills that we've provided them in this program to improve, enhance, and advocate for agriculture uh, and rural communities. I think I really agree with the part you talk about skill development and really developing the individual to work in agriculture. Um, we know that a lot of our students aren't going to go out and call themselves agriculture leadership scholars. We know that they're not leaving the halls of, of Texas Tech to, to go do that. Some of them are. Some of them do want to go on to, to graduate school. But I think that for, by and large, agriculture leadership is teaching the tenets of leadership, having them understand um, how they can be a better leader, be a better follower, um, work with others in a group setting, um, use leadership across organizations that are that are steeped in agriculture. Um, you know, the ag industry is one of the major employers in the United States. And when we start thinking about that, um, as you mentioned, Dr. Bashir's, it's there's the there's the technical side of agriculture, um, there's that production side as well, but people is that that common denominator. And so, if our students, we feel like when they leave here that they are well suited to go out into society and work with others and lead others in a variety of options, whether it be nonprofits, extension, um, education, human resources, sales, um, law school. I mean, there's a lot of ways that our students can go out and make a big impact. And so um, I think that ag leadership, when our students leave here, they're able to also go into that community development side and, and really um, make a difference in whatever community they, they end up in. All right, so let's kind of jump into, we've talked about what ag leadership is, and I think that, that there's a lot to consider when we think about that. But for a student who's looking at going into one of our programs, our bachelor's degree, our master's, our, our PhD, how would you all describe those programs? So, uh my students who have had me in class understand that I can't answer a question without putting it in context. So let me do that for just a minute and then I'll, I'll move forward. But when we started developing our undergraduate degree 20 years ago, we really went out and looked at who was doing it the best in the country. And we looked at universities, of course, like Nebraska. We looked at the University of Georgia, Fort Hayes. Mm -hmm. Fort Hayes State, believe it or not, had a, a huge undergraduate leadership program at the time. And so we looked at, at all these different programs and tried to pull the best aspects of all of those in a way that was um, going to benefit students at Texas Tech University. And so we put together a degree program that really starts small and, and, and grows larger, if, if I can explain that. We begin with uh, courses in personal leadership. So we look at uh, you yourself as an individual, not only what your skills are and what your abilities are and how to improve those, but also understanding those and others around you. Um, and then we moved up from the individual to small groups and teams. And we have a course in team leadership. And we talk about how to work together in small groups and how to be effective, how to lead small groups and how to be followers in small groups. Uh, and then we moved on to organizations. And we talked about how you lead uh, ag organizations and how you deal with transition and change and conflict resolution and those things. Um, and so we started small we worked our way large, including things like government and, 
and organizations to that level. And that was the philosophy, was started at started an individual level and worked to a larger degree. And we still follow that to this point, but we've really added in a lot more coursework and a lot more ability to teach the theory of leadership as well. In our master's degree, we take a, a little different approach and it's very theory-based. Uh, we have four courses that we teach um, that are spread amongst all of our faculty that begin with a very heavy theory-based course based on um, a guy that we all know, uh, a guy named Jay Barbuto at the University of Nebraska, who, uh, who taught theories there for years and years. Uh, we have a, a team's leadership class. We have a current issues course. And then as a capstone, we have a class in evaluation, which the idea is that uh, students are able to go into organizations, evaluate the leadership that exists, determine how effective it is, and make suggestions for improvement. So that's really the basis for those two degrees um, and, and where we've come from. And I'll let Dr. Warren Alpazar talk a little bit about how that plays in with our students and, and how how they go through that process now and, and how they go out the door. Well, you know, um, for our undergraduate students, um, we provide them with a lot of opportunities to look at leadership in different contexts. And so I think that's something we prepare them, of course, the, the interpersonal, the personal, uh, the organizational, but we also uh, allow them the opportunity, uh, you know, they do an internship as a part of the program. And so they're able to really get into the, an organization and start applying those leadership skills and then writing about those leadership skills uh, as a part of the follow-up to that internship experience. So um, we give a real practical, uh, a practical experience um, in leadership for, for the undergraduate students. For our graduate students also, we, we really look at how do you apply, how, how can you develop a leadership program? Um, as Dr. Brashears mentioned, uh, how do you evaluate one? You know, so, so really getting in deep into some of those nuts and bolts of being in, not of moving from just the study of leadership to the actual development of leadership in others. Well, I, I really appreciate you all talking about our program. Um, as the new guy on the block, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm still learning some of this, but um, I would agree with, with your sentiment and the things that you talked about. I guess, what, what do you think makes our program unique when you compare it to others? There's a, there's a, a famous quote that you see on the walls of Texas Tech from our very first uh, president, Paul Whitfield Horn. And he said, uh, during a graduation commencement speech, he said, uh, the the scope of the things that we do at Texas Tech should match these West Texas Plains. Let our thinkings be big and broad and let our actions be big and broad and have impact on worldwide terms. That's not exact, but that's that's pretty close. And I think he did not I, read that off. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Um, I, I I think as I think about our students and what makes them unique matches West Texas. Um, it's a very individualistic part of the world. Um, people live by this pull yourself up from your bootstraps mentality and have for generations. And whether you agree or disagree with that or not, it's, it's part of the, that attitude here. And so I think part of our students is that can-do attitude. And they, 
They leave here hopefully with a set of skills that we've provided them with the belief that they're going to be out, be able to go out into the world, into whatever profession that they aspire to be in, and they're going to have the skills to make things happen. And it's not going to be, um, you know, while things like, you think about things like school boards and uh, farm bureau committees and things like that are incredibly important. I hope that our students leave here with the attitude that they're going to impact things on worldwide terms, because that's what that's what President Horn told us to do. He told us that Texas Tech was more than a regional university. It's a place that, as we say, from here it's possible to go out and have worldwide impacts. And I think, again, being the new guy on the block and hearing you say that, that is what I see with our students. I think that our students are uh, very individualistic, but they also kind of take ownership of the content that they learn and they're going to apply it in creative and unique ways, whether that be um, a new leadership training for a farmers co-op or for a farm bureau meeting or anything along those lines. But also um, when our students get to that master's PhD level, they're taking that and really trying to figure out you know, how, how is the application of leadership across agriculture, across communities, what, what can we learn from that? And when, how can we share that with others and, um, and make that bigger impact that you talk about? You know, and another thing about our students is Lubbock is kind of an acquired taste. We're 350 miles from the nearest major metropolitan area. And most of our students, uh, a large percentage of our students come from this area. They come from places like Shamrock, like I did. And they have this uh, ingrained connection to production agriculture. Uh, they've grown up in it. They believe in it. They understand it. And a lot of them actually want to go back to that. They want to go back and maybe to their hometown or maybe to their home region to work in their family farm or their family business. And they're going to be um, the ones that are working in those communities for the next generation that are serving on school boards, that are serving on as the mayor of their small town that are working to make things better in that community, even though they're, they're living and working there, but they're also a part of the leadership of that community. And so we want to give them those skills and that belief that they can go back and have that kind of impact. There was an individual that uh, I used to work with a lot when I was at Kentucky, and she always said, never be afraid to tell people where you're from because you have the absolute potential to make the biggest impact there and that's always stuck out with me and, and and i think that when you talk about our students you know they are from these more rural areas and so we actually we absolutely want them to be empowered and to feel like they can go back to those communities and use what they learned within the leadership program to to make an impact on that local level um, and that makes a ripple to the regional, to the state, to the national, and, and so on. And so, um, and I think we give our students that opportunity to discuss it a bit. So let's talk about ourselves just a little bit. What, what would you all consider your favorite accomplishment that you've, that you've gotten while you've been at Texas Tech? Well, I think, in my case, I have I have a couple that come to mind. Um, the first one would be when um, we brought the Mandela Washington Fellows from um, 16 different countries in Africa 
we had 25 young leaders here for six weeks. Uh, we ran them through an executive level, level uh, leadership development program. Uh, that was really impactful. Um, we had our own students engaging with these young leaders from all these different countries. They were wrestling with issues that are global, but yet local. How do you effect change? You know, this level of discussion and then exploring that kind mm -hmm. of leadership and how it's applied in different contexts. So that was absolutely a phenomenal experience. I guess then another would be um, when I took students to rural Nicaragua on a study abroad. And again, it's the, uh, I, I don't like to use the word clashing of cultures, but it is the, the, the merging or the melding of ideas and how we apply different kinds of ideas in different contexts with different constraints and different uh, resources and, and how we learn then to take those essential skills mm -hmm. and use them differently than maybe what we've seen. I, I love to see students become innovative in that way. So those are two really, really neat experiences I've had. Thank you for not calling them soft skills. Um, I yeah, think they're essential. I know they're, they're essential. Yes, I um, agree. I love that you say that. They're they're not soft because, um, yeah. And so that's a that's a vernacular change that I would like ag leadership to to take on first. Um, is is soft versus essential skills, Dr. Shears? Yeah, I'm the same way. I hate that term, um, and I still find myself saying it sometimes because you hear it so often. Um, so as far as accomplishments go, I absolutely have to start with my students and mostly because I work mostly with grad students, uh, I, I kind of gravitate toward them as my examples. But I, I love looking at my students today, um, some that have been out of grad school for 15 years now and looking at what they're doing and looking at how successful they are. Um, I say with pride that I've, I have some of my former doctoral students that are teaching it universities, uh, major land-grant universities all over the country, uh, from Arizona, from California now to Florida. Uh, and so I, I look on those with a, with a heavy sense of pride and, and look forward to the times that I get to visit and, and to continue to work with those students. But one of the things that I've, I'm most excited about uh, that we've done at Texas Tech that hopefully will continue long after uh, I'm gone from here is a program we call the Sower Scholars Program. And for years, I've worked in multiple Latin American countries uh, with ag industry organizations doing leadership development, doing training, uh, working with my wife, doing food safety training, uh, a wide array, array of uh, just different types of educational programs. And what we found over the years were that uh, a lot of the students that we recruited on these trips, because that was it was really um, a great opportunity to recruit students, especially when visiting universities. Um, what we found was that students would come to the U.S., go to graduate school or go to undergraduate school, get their degrees, get a job, and never go back to their home countries. And we were contributing immensely uh, to what's called brain drain and taking out the educated populace of a small country when they needed to be there. They needed to be in their home countries and contributing to the to the issues uh, that were happening there. So we created this program we call Sower Scholars. 
SOAR being an acronym that stands for sustaining our world through education and research. Um, and also we use the Van Gogh painting probably without licensing um, as our, our logo of casting out the seeds on the ground. And so the idea is that we bring students here from other countries, we train them in agriculture, whether it's uh, throughout the college in many different disciplines. And then with the idea that we can't send them, but they have the expectation that they will go back. They're going to go back to their home countries, take the information that they learned and apply that to help the people in their country so that the need for people like me, for consultants and for educators coming in from the outside becomes less and less over the years and that they're able to uh, support themselves more and not rely on people from the outside. Thanks both of you all for sharing that because I, I've been here for two years and I haven't heard you, we hadn't gotten the chance to talk about some of that. So I, I appreciate that. I think for me, um, it would be so far the Civic Leadership Academy and um, just getting the funding to, to start that and um, getting to work with, with the students and just seeing the potential for impact across communities. These students are from across the ag industry, but looking at how they look at civic leadership and being involved in community engagement and putting all those pieces together. Um, it's been really, I always get inspired after our sessions because, and and go home and, and take a lot of notes because I think that, um, I mean, that's when you can see the people's, you know, their minds moving and, and really, Coming up with with some bigger plans, um, that's when you know that they're taking the content and and making a big impact with it. And so that's been really cool for me to see with Civic Leadership Academy. All right, so we've talked about kind of the history of our program a little bit, where it is now. Let's pull out our crystal balls and everybody kind of look into the future. Where do you see our ag leadership discipline going in the next 10 years and beyond? You know, we, we've talked a little bit about these essential skills that we hope to, to impart upon our students here. And there's no denying our place in history and where we are right now. We're coming out, hopefully coming out of this two-year pandemic where, uh, you know, our, our sophomores, uh, rising juniors at Texas Tech, were really the first ones impacted uh, as they came into the university. Our, our younger students had to deal with that in high school. And the real impact of all of this pandemic and the lockdowns and the quarantines is that we have stunted a generation of students as far as their social skills go. They've spent countless hours taking Zoom classes and interacting on email and video. And there's just no denying that that personal interaction of sitting across the table from somebody or having a conversation with someone or having lunch with someone uh, is, in, is essential for someone to be able to you know, go on to the adulting phase of their lives and working not only, you know, working in the profession in agriculture, uh, but also just being able to get along in social settings. And so what, what we see now is that students are a lot more, um, I don't want to say unnaturally, but um, they're not naturally as extroverted as what we've seen in the past. They're, they're more inclined to seek refuge to be away, to be isolated, because that's what they've seen for two years. And so I think the first thing that we're going to have to deal with, uh, it, it's an ongoing 
a battle that we're struggling with right now is reacclimating our students to the social world where ag leadership is a face-to-face profession where you're you're working in sales or you're working in you know political policy or you're working in in professions where you have to have to go out and see people and talk to people face to face and not everything you do can be online or be on a zoom meeting and so i think i don't know that that's going to be a quick answer i think we have this group of students that uh, are going to feel this this COVID generation, we're going to feel this impact for a while. And so as we move forward, thinking about the skills that our students need, I think there might be a little bit of a leveling that we have to go back to and deal with uh, getting students up to speed of where they were maybe three or four years ago before the pandemic. So um, I, I think that's probably going to be the most important thing we deal with now, just to make sure that we're putting people out in the workforce that are ready to go into those situations. And I think, so I'm going to jump off what you said and apply that to communities. I think one of the things that I've seen with communities and community development is that um, maybe they had great momentum going before the pandemic, but once that hit, it kind of shut things down. And, um, you know, I, I think about my dad as the president of the local historical society and um, the county that I grew up in, in Kentucky was celebrating its 250th birthday anniversary and all the plans they had for that and then just how that all got taken away and so there was some really great momentum in the community and now they're struggling to get that momentum back and i think that just like our students our communities and agriculture in general is also needing kind of some of that essential skill development and how do we help them um, to to get back to the levels that they were at um you know in terms of of, uh, rural development and and community development, one of the things is we have to, um, I think we have to show those communities ways to be empowered and empower themselves internally, but also help them to realize um, networking and those sort of things to to leverage some of their localized community problems, Um, but there's others that they can partner with and and teaching them how to do that. I think the other thing in our in ag leadership, um, diversity, I think is, is important. I think in agriculture, we love to talk about the diversity of our products, but we don't talk about the diversity of our people within agriculture. And I think that that's something, um, when you look at a lot of the, the challenges coming up, I think that's something that we absolutely have to have a conversation with. We just developed that course here, developed, uh, sorry, diversity and, and leadership, and seeing the students, and you've heard it on the podcast. Some of the some of the things the students got out of that course, and um, the, what, how they shared that with you. I also think that when we look at some of the larger challenges across the globe, not just here in West Texas, not just in Texas, but but everywhere, um, when I think about problems like um, food um, hunger migration, those sort of things. Ag leadership, we're preparing people to go on and take on those those jobs and those roles in the future. And so I think that's one of the things too, um, where ag leadership can make a bigger impact in years to come. Well, and I just kind of going off what you you said, Dr. Hedrick, you know, we're looking at issues that have been pushed to the back burner. 
over the course of generations and they're now erupting. They're big, wicked problems, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. we call them. Mm -hmm. We are preparing our students with the essential skills to be able to go into community, to organizations, to wherever, collaborate, deal with conflict, embrace diverse perspectives to be able to finally confront some of these challenges that we're facing in the ag industry and beyond. So, um, but those, those are definitely uh, things that we think about innovative thinking, uh, that cross disciplinary kinds of collaborations. Um, that's what we want our graduates to be able to go out and do. You know, one of the things that we've, we've kind of danced around today, but I think one of the most important skills that we are imparting on our students and, and doing so intentionally is the ability to think critically. And we've kind of, you talk about these wicked problems and, you know, I, I think about Ukraine right now and the issues that we have and not only the humanitarian issues that are going on there, which are horrible and awful and are obviously the first issue that we need to deal with, but there's, there's this whole aspect of farming in Ukraine and in Southern Russia that is impacting the wheat crop, which has a global impact across the world. Uh, that war now is having an impact on gas prices, which causes commodity prices in this country to go up and contribute to inflation. There's so many things that are happening right now. And if you, if you take the approach that, well, I can't deal with any of that, it's outside my ability, then we're never gonna be able to solve those problems. And I hope that one of the, the issues that our students are able to deal with as they leave here is understanding that they are part of the solution and that they need to approach it that way and to be able to think critically and evaluate the information that they get from the media or from uh, their neighbors and their friends and their family and, and evaluate that critically and come to an area of truth and, and develop good solutions based on that. Okay, we've talked about a lot today. We've talked about our program, we've talked about the future, um, we've talked about our own personal accomplishments, but let's give the people what they really want. We're gonna, this is the fun question. So to show that we're not just academics, right? We, we, we get into other things. And so what are, what music or television programs are you into right now? Or do you all have hobbies that, that people don't know that you have? What do you wanna share? Well, um, I'll just be honest here, Dr. Hedrick. I, I don't ever watch television. So that there you have it. Um, but I, I do listen to, I'm kind of partial to classical piano music. Okay. I've been really into Mozart lately, Rachmaninoff. I like Beethoven, Bach, I, you know, all the lists. Um, anyway, so been when I'm at home, I have... Uh, Typically, classical piano music playing in the background. That's what I'm into. Uh, as far as hobbies go, um, I have backyard chickens. Okay. Rhode Island Reds and Buff Orpingtons right now. Um, so that's, uh, that's, I guess, my hobby. That's a full-time job that's a, in itself. <laughs> it is. They, they keep us busy, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well... I think I knew that about you, you know, because I like classic music too, but I'm more into like Jimmy Page and Freddie Mercury and um, that area of classic music. <laughs> I, I grew up as a child of the 80s, and so I listened to a lot of 80s music and a lot of rock music. Um, I found myself lately going back and pulling up with 
Apple Music, you can find anything from any generation ever. And so I've, I've been pulling up some albums that I used to listen to. I found one the other day from a college band called the Northern Pikes that no one has ever heard of, probably but me. But I pulled the album and I was listening to it. It's bringing back a lot of memories from, from the early 90s when I was in college. Um, things that I do. Oh, I'm watching a, a series now on Netflix, I think, that I don't like watching series as they come out. Because I don't like waiting right. to watch the next episode. So there's a, a series on Netflix called uh, Frank and Great or Great Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Thank That's you. also on my watch list. Uh, so I'm I'm about halfway through that series right now, but it's ended. It it's awesome. It's got Martin Sheen for, who from The West Wing, that I, one of my favorite shows ever. So anything with Martin Sheen in it, I'll watch. Um, Jane Fonda is 74 years old and she looks like she's 25. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, things that I do, I, I just. We haven't talked about this. I just moved back literally two days ago from Washington, D.C. I've been there for four years uh, working for Texas Tech, but working from D.C. Um, in my barn at my house, I have a 66 Chevy Nova that I'm building. It's in literally in a thousand pieces right now. I've primed it. I've uh, sandblasted it, primed it, and I'm starting to put it together with the goal of literally a year from now this week. I'm doing a five-day road trip called the Power Tour, uh, where people, it's the world's largest classic car road trip. Cool. Uh, it's 1,500 miles over five days, uh, and you stop at five racetracks on the way, okay. and concerts and all kinds of things that happen. So that's basically all the free time I have right now. I'm trying to build a car. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so classical music, um, when, I, when I need to focus and study piano, or cello music is what I, I that's what I really listen to. Um, if I need to write, if I'm really focusing on writing, uh, I listen to Beyonce's Homecoming album. And that was uh, from, from getting my PhD, something that I still listen to that for, for focus and um, just to kind of help me move my thoughts along. Um, I, if you picked up my Spotify account, you would find every genre of music, and it really is just uh, whatever I'm listening to that day. Um, I think the students, um, I have them choose music in class just so I can keep up with music trends, and <laughs> that's really kind of interesting sometimes. Um, my all-time favorite of the Avett Brothers, um, American folk music, um, seen them several times. Um, television is really a hodgepodge. Grace and Frankie is one that I watch. Um, we watch a lot of series um, just just to I need that escape. Um, I also paint um, just acrylic painting. I'm not very good, but I paint a lot just to channel some energy and channel in a more creative way. Um, love working in the garden and outside and um, learning how um, to basically Growing up in Kentucky, where you get a lot of rain and it's humid, to moving here to Lubbock, where it's uh, a dry heat and there's not a lot of rain, it's been really interesting to learn the process and gardening from that perspective. So I'm probably, uh, if, if I ever were to be able to write a book outside of anything leadership focused, it would be about gardening, no matter where you are. So, um, so gonna have a lot of squash this summer so that's cool yeah yeah so i was thinking you were talking about eclectic music i was thinking of the last concerts i went to and i know the pandemic has messed that up a little bit but in 
the last year, I've been to three concerts. Uh, a Christian concert in D.C. this past, like, two weeks ago. Enrique Iglesias in Pitbull in the fall. And Jonas Brothers last summer. Okay. So there's there's some eclectic music. The last concert I went to before the pandemic was Lizzo. And the one um, since the pandemic, I uh, went down to Austin uh, in the spring and saw Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Swords. And so, um, yeah, it's it's music and, and those sort of things. I don't know. It connects us and, mm-hmm. and helps us kind of um, channel our energy maybe in different places. Well, as we kind of wrap up today, um, I just want to say, one, it's good to be in this space with both of you. Uh, because we've not been able to to have that uh, opportunity, but um, you know, I think as we as we look today and we review, um, ag leadership is a discipline that is absolutely primed to prepare students, communities, any anyone in between, to address some of these um, these bigger problems, these bigger challenges with, within society, within agriculture, um, but also. We want our students to know that they um, they can use leadership on a very practical level and, and some things like that. Any any final thoughts today from you all as we as we kind of wrap up? Well, I would just say that I think um, as we're seeing changes that need to take place in this world, that really ag leadership is the place that a student can come and get well-versed in strategies and skills to be able to go out into the world, into whatever context, and be that change maker that we need. So that that's kind of how I would wrap it up. I would just say, if you're still listening to this podcast at this point, you really, really like ag leadership, or you're my mom. So uh, thank you for listening. I'll leave you with this. Um, another quote that I can't remember exactly, but somebody said, you know, it, you're, you're amiss if you think that a small group of people can't change the world because that's truly the only people who ever have. And we're trying to create world changers here. That's what we're after. That's right. Well, thank you all for being with us today. Um, I know I've enjoyed this and I hope that you have too. And if you like our podcast and hopefully you do at this point, then you'll like and subscribe and share with others. And if you have any questions or um, you can think of ways to continue the conversation with us, shoot us an email. um, And all of those details are listed on our podcast. But again, we appreciate you being with us and hopefully you make it the best day that you can. Have a great day. Thank you for riding along today in the Leadership Combine. The purpose of this podcast is to make you think about the intersection of leadership, agriculture, community development, and all points in between. No matter where you're listening from, thanks for your support and tell others. You can engage with us on Instagram and Twitter at TTUAG Leadership. Till next time, you've been listening to the Leadership Combine.